0: call it the starving board right so you're either you're either satisfied hungry or starving and we rank our guys from one to 120 as who's the most starving guy and who's the guy that's the most satisfied you know and so what we try to do and i think it's worked fairly well is is to be completely transparent like this is where you're at and put that up there for their peers to see
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. There are two things that Coach Ron McKeefrey does anytime he's working with a new team. These two things transcend traditional working relationships with athletes and promote a winning culture through connection. This is Ron's bailiwick. What are those two things? Well, we're so glad you asked because you'll just have to tune in to find out. Here it is,
0: episode 638.
2: Power athlete nation, and all of the coaches listening right now, are you ready to take your athletes to the next level? Are you prepared to master your craft? Do you want to be standing on the podium next to your best athlete while you hoist the Lombardi Trophy overhead? Then you need to enroll in the Power Athlete Academy, where you can learn how to <laughs> the and the analysis, all while fostering developing athletes in real time. Head to
1: academy.powerathletehq.com for industry leading insight and practical application grab 15% off all Power Athlete Academy courses from now until Labor Day with the code BACKTOSCHOOL at checkout that's all caps BACKTO SCHOOL
2: now is the time to level up and empower your athletes you can do that at powerathletehq.com power,
1: power athlete nation welcoming ron mckeefery twice named collegiate strength and conditioning coach of the year the author of CEO Strength Coach and Weight Room Wisdom, the host of the Iron Game Chalk Talk, and taken on a new venture this year as the head strength and conditioning coach for the Washington Huskies football program. But most importantly, Power Athlete Symposium speaker and three-time Power
2: Athlete Radio guest. Wow! This honor. makes four. Honor right there. Uh, I haven't seen Texas Giddy ever. So just know he's real excited to have you on. So.
1: Well, I was just in Washington visiting Cali and got the opportunity to, to shake hands with Ron on his way out, but What's, then get a tour of the facility. Was it
2: the type of thing where you were like, Hey shooter, Hey shooter. We're hey, still f- friends, we're right? Still, still friend or like a uh, red lobster. Let's <laughs> go to red lobster shooter. My treat Ron. <laughs> yeah. Ron's like uh security. There's a, kind of a short hairy dude fucking so stalking me around here. And it's weird. Uh, no, uh, it was cool. With uh, cowboy boots walking around
0: outside. Huh? Yeah, you certainly knew the Shorts, belong. Shorts <laughs> and
2: cowboy boots. I mean, it's Sh- standard. Uh, you know, isn't that what you rock in Seattle these days? Short King summer. Yeah, that's true. It's good. Uh,
1: but, you know, oh. we met with Coach Brian and got a tour of the facility. Amazing. It's awesome. I saw Bob Sapp's name on the wall. Mm. That was my go-to when we got the NFL uh, highlight to the players that all, everyone that the Huskies have sent, which is very interesting. The one thing I saw that stood out. NFC West and the Raiders, a whole bunch of Huskies. It's like they can see them regionally.
2: Let's just pick this guy up. Well, I think everybody has a dream. I know my dream was to always play for the Raiders, and I was so disappointed at the end of my career. I kind of had this idea I would get a chance to go play for the Raiders and never got there. But having played there so much in Kansas City and putting my foot on their neck so much, I'm so surprised I never got a chance. I'm kind of a little upset about that. you were too it's hard. Dire
0: told. hatred, right there. You, the Kansas uh, City would turn their back on you. No,
2: I mean, uh, right uh, playing in in uh, like what? What do they call it? The black hole. Is at least what they called it in Oakland was the worst. Like you'd see like six year old kids over there, like giving you the finger. Grandma giving you like double fingers. Some dude like pulling his pants down. Like you just like <laughs> the worst people on the planet. And I always was like, man, I would love to play here. These people are awesome. <laughs>
1: well, Ron, one of the reasons I, I wanted to bring you on is we, we missed sure. your whole Fresno State chapter. So you took yep. on that opportunity, taking over the team and leading the, leaving the place better than you found it. But now we have this opportunity on the ground floor with you with Washington to take this over, man. So I want to go through your assessment of a team because there's seniors, there's juniors they're in place that this was their team. And now we have a new quote unquote culture and probably a new weight room coming in if history repeats itself. So what is your approach to assess what you have in place and then bring what you have to the table with this team?
0: Yeah, no, awesome question, man. I think, you know, for us, I mean, I think the last time I left off with most of the power athlete nation, I was, I was leaving play to go to Fresno state. Um, And um, you know, the long story short, I loved my time at play. I got to travel the world, Got to work with different teams and, do some phenomenal things but you know football raised me you know um I think there's a lot of people listening that could appreciate that and I missed the game I mean I've, I've always kind of looked at myself as a football coach that my specialty is strength instead of a strength coach that does that does football and I think I think that's an important distinction you know that of you know I think a lot of strength coaches you tell them they can't squat deadlift power clean whatever and you can visibly see the steam coming out of their ears whereas you know if you're looking at it from a football perspective right there's always a way there's you know and, and that was one of the fun things about being in the NFL is how many different ways can I trick this guy into squatting you know mm-hmm. each day and um you know and so uh, I got the dream I got the dream you know uh, one of my best friends is is Kalen DeBoer is the head football coach here um, he got the job you know we were we played against each other well he was one year ahead of me but um, we played against each other in college um coached together early in our coaching career lived together for a period of time you know so you get you get really tight with those guys right and uh, he got the job at Fresno state got us got an opportunity to be you know to be that guy there and um, i got a chance to go back and coach with a bunch of buddies you know and and really truly have the the support of the head coach and and have the kind of relationship that you dream of as as a as a strength coach right and um and, it, and it's great I mean I, we had a, a phenomenal run there we went in during the COVID year and kind of had to deal with all of that and uh, last year was our first full year and we went 10 and three and and turned it around from a from you know from previous previous bad season and Um, And then this, this happened, you know, there's a big opportunity here at Washington and uh, you know, as as everybody, you know, knows is the head coach got let go here for kind of some, you know, some tumultuous type stuff on, you know, and it just was a a unique situation to walk into where to be honest with you, there wasn't a lot of trust. There wasn't a lot of trust in the coaching staff. There wasn't a lot of trust in, you know, the organization. Um, I think between you know, like Tim Saha was a strength coach here. He's a great dude, awesome guy. Um, you know, ha- had a ton of success as well. And and um, you know, I think just you know COVID and and just where the world is these days, it's a, it's a different landscape. You know, and so um, I came in and met with every single player. I do that everywhere I go. It's it's not it's not an easy thing to do to have a twenty minute conversation with one hundred and twenty guys you know, and, and really try to get deep with them in a short amount of time. And, um, so did that, met with every single guy and, and really just kind of, you know, sometimes change is a catalyst, you know, and I, and I think to your question, I think the number one thing you assess is the culture. You know, if your culture is not great, you have, you're fighting a losing battle each and every day. And, uh, and so really trying to invest in these guys and show them that, you know, that I'm not a robot, you know, and, and, uh be able to kind of um, show the human side of me, but also hold them to a high standard, be a consistent guy each and every day. I think that was the most important thing. Um, and then you go in and you really try to see where you're at in terms of your KPIs and, um, and those types of things. And, and, and um, you know, we, we, we got some room just like everywhere to grow and get better and, and we've been attacking that, but, uh, but it's been good. It's been, we just literally finished our last day today of summer training. We just climbed uh, the space needle. We did the the stairs of the space needle and finished it off with the,
2: how many steps?
0: 900 something steps. It doesn't sound like much, but it's pretty good elevation gain, you know, there. And, and, uh, you definitely felt it by the end of it. Um, but you know, that culminated, you know, basically eight months of a sun up to sun down and, and going after this thing, so it's been it's been a fun journey. Hopefully, it pays off this this season. Is
1: uh, yeah. have is climbing the space needle? Is that something the dudes have done before?
0: So they've done it uh, a couple times in the past. Um, they hadn't done it for a while. And uh, one thing I try to do is, you know, I program in four week cycles, and every fourth week is kind of uh, it's kind of a deload, unload. I mean, we we never drop off in intensity, but we drop off in volume. And, uh, in those weeks, it's three, you know, pretty good intense workouts, but we kind of, the, the drop off essentially is the Friday lift where we do a special lift. And so, you know, we've had the Valentine's day massacre and the red, white, and boom, and, and just finished up with the, 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 the stair climb I've, I've camped out on, on beaches and done sand workouts. I've done, you know, taking them and climbed mountains before and, and different things. I try. I think whenever you create life experiences for guys, I mean, I can't tell you how many guys came up to me when we were at the top of the space needle, even guys that lived in Seattle and had never been to the top of it, you know, let alone climb the stairs, which not very many people get to do. So whenever you create life experiences for guys, they have, you know, uh, it, it brings you together. Just, I just naturally think about it. Like whoever took you to your first amusement park, you've got kind of a story for life with that guy, you know, or gal. and, and, uh, when you can do things like that, you can provide some life experiences for guys. It, it makes asking them to do three sets of eight a little bit easier.
2: Yeah, is well, it open to the public?
0: The stairs aren't. No, no, I was no, gonna say because
2: I've yeah. been up to have drinks up there numerous times, and yeah. I don't remember anybody ever seeing a stair option. So what
1: i went I went to college in d c, and that was a big part of what our coach wanted to do. There's Iwo Jima. I mean, there's so much there, and we would take our conditioning on the road. So we'd be sprinting up all these places, and it it had weight, it had significance, and I'm still talking about it, I remember it today. So that's the thing that jumped out to me when you talked about running up the needle. So I mean, the, Washington and Seattle is such a beautiful place. There's plenty of opportunity to make some memories with the guys no out there. No doubt
0: about it. No doubt about it. And that's and that's what we've been doing. You know, we've done it creatively with. You know, we just took them paintballing not too long ago. We've done some different things. And, um, but I've always made it, you know, like, so in an eight-week block, right? In an eight-week block, we'll have two special workouts. One of those is always an ass kicker. One of those you're going to remember just because it's the hardest thing you ever did. One of them is going to be a kind of a team builder. and, And that's kind of what this was. So it was, you know, I think mixing those things in, you think about it like later on in life, when, you know, when you look back on your lacrosse days and whatnot, it's like you remember those, Three or four really really intense workouts. You know you remember those times that you had a lot of fun with your buddies. Um, you don't always remember the Tuesday freaking bench workout on phase you know two of your winter program.
2: Oh, it's cool, man. I I'm sitting here trying to reflect and I cannot think of a single strength coach or situation i had like that where uh, that we actually did anything. Mariucci spotting you uh, and you we, had to get the weight or else well <laughs> yeah that was uh, i mean but that was a max out i mean that was our testing day yeah uh, but like uh, todd rice never took us anywhere i mean like we never uh you know eric cohen was one of the strength coaches at uh washington and i remember he you know he came to cal and uh, he was good buddies with steve etman so steve etman who I remember seeing him as a kid uh, play at USC and was still probably one of the most dominant players I've ever seen was a Washington Husky. So mm-hmm. I remember, I mean, like, not- oh yeah, no, I mean, you know, playing a cow, like going up and playing Washington, especially in Seattle or them coming down. I mean, you know, I mean it's been a formidable program for a long time. So kind of excited. What's the, what's the kind of the temperature around with SC and UCLA pulling out of the, I guess the PAC 12 now and trying to get into other conferences. And I mean, it's uh I'm confused by it. I mean, I know yeah. why they're doing it and I know that everybody wants to try to get into the big money, SEC, NIL, TV, the situation. So now they're all trying to pull the ripcord, but I mean, I can't believe it. Like that SC and then would pull out. I mean, that's foundational Pac-10.
0: Yeah. Obviously the coach answer is that we're, we're you know, we'll do whatever, whatever is thrown in front of us. We'll, we'll take care of, you know, but it definitely is something that you know, especially as a new staff coming here, Pac-12, you know, the history of that, the Rose Bowl, <clears throat> thinking about going and playing some of those iconic stadiums and whatnot. I mean, it's it just, uh, it's a shame a little bit, you know, that that money's having that kind of effect, but, you know, be it be it the, the landscape of college football and and the reorganization of conferences or NIL or one-time transfer, or all these things, I think, I think what's been for me personally, going back and forth between the NFL and college has helped, you know, because, you know, when you walk into an NFL weight room and everybody makes more money than you do, you know um, you can't just scream and yell and pound your chest and get guys to do things. Right. You know? And so you got to find a way. And that's, we're going to find ourselves that in that position here pretty quick here in college where, you know, probably everybody in the room is going to make more money than I do, you know? And um, and so having that kind of, training, I guess, is gonna help. But yeah, landscape of college football. I mean, I I Washington's an incredible brand. You know, I mean, you think you know you know that between us, probably Oregon, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna end up being okay. Um, uh, whatever happens, but um, uh, but it's a shame for, you know, what what's traditionally a really strong conference to to uh to, to not know what the future holds.
2: Yeah, they I mean they're gonna have to try to pull somebody in. I mean but It's always been just kind of a West Coast deal. I mean, when I played, it was Pac-10. Then they added two more and, you know, some other teams. But it's always been kind of this West Coast kind of dominated. SEC was obviously, you know, in the South and that. Um, But, man, it's – it. uh, yeah, I mean, I hope we don't look back at this in 10 years and realize that, uh, you know, the NFL, like now it's going to end up like Major League Baseball where now you just have farm teams. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, you know, it's, I mean, being a player in the NFL, like when you'd go from Kansas City to freaking LA, like that, there was a lot of thought that went into your preparation, you know, be it sleep, be it nutrition, be it whatever. And, and you start to factor that into 18 to 22 year old kids that don't understand all of that, you know, and, and, uh, I mean, you're already having some of those conversations in your head going, all right, how are we, how are we going to stress going to the, you know, if we end up going to the East Coast like for freaking three times a, a year or whatever it might be, then like, man, you know, that's, that's, uh, and then have to go to chemistry class on Monday morning,
2: you know? Well, one of my it's favorite how, moments was uh, when I played in Philly. Uh, we went out and played uh, uh, Seattle or, um, you know, the uh, Seahawks? Yeah. We went out to the Seahawks. I was going to say the Chargers and I don't know why I was going to say that. we go out and play Seattle. And we would leave two days early. So we instead would normally travel on a Saturday, we would travel on a Friday, which was actually phenomenal because we would hit the ground and dude, people like cars and limos and everything and dudes would just go out and we'd have a great time because we'd actually get to finally go out in the city. And I remember like the coaches, you know, would always say, Hey, you (laughs) got to get out there and get to sleep and get acclimated in this. And we're like, Oh yeah, sure. And we're out there fucking burning it to the ground. Uh, so uh, easy Seattle. Oh, dude, (laughs) we had a great time. I mean, there's always a ton of good restaurants in Seattle and, um, you know, there's a lot of ways to get in trouble. So we would try to get in trouble. Uh, but like, I think the problem is, I mean, if you look like they're going to have to pull in, I mean, I I think when I was doing a little research on it, like S or SC and UCLA were claiming that they were better than like 50% of the audience for viewing and you know, what they were viewing as revenue pieces and we're only getting a piece in this. And I'm like, fuck. Like, I just wonder if everybody... I mean, I, I realize the teams are probably in a situation where kids are like, well, we would come here if we were playing in a better conference. They probably heard that and they were like, well, shit, can we play in a better conference? Like, what's the conference we got to go to to pull these kids? I mean, it's um, it's... Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think the recruiting it's it's interesting because you got you know now you know just, you know the deal like when I was in Tennessee, you're you're playing number two this week and number five next week and number ten the week after that and like rankings don't end up meaning anything. But you you think about it and you're like, man, that's a that's a little bit tougher sled than playing wherever you know uh, you, you kind of go on the, the the peaks and the valleys throughout the year and, and um, you know having the parity of where different teams rise up throughout, but um, yeah, it's, I think, I think recruits, I think still looking for opportunities to to, to have individual success. I think you're, you're dealing with that a little bit to where you, you got it, you know, for, for guys like us that like the team is everything and the glue, you know, the, that's, that's hard to sometimes to swallow.
2: Well, the, the other but, one, and, um, uh, I don't know how you convey it to these kids, um, regardless of whether or not you play on uh you know prime time every saturday for the next four years or you play on a team that might go like you know seven and four or something and play in a bowl game if you're good the nfl will find you i mean i I, I, dude i played with guys who were you know division two division three played in different places that could flat out play that didn't have the opportunity to play but I think there's this idea that, Hey, you know, uh, I got to try to make this money now because I'm not going to have this opportunity. I'm like, dude, if you're a great player, they're going to find you and you're going to have an opportunity to go do it. The amount of guys that got drafted in the third and the fourth round from smaller schools that go on to have amazing careers is greater than the dudes that are, you know, first round shoe in, this guy's going to be a future hall of famer and two years later, you never hear his name. So, uh, I like, I don't know where this kind of, I mean, I, I understand the sense of urgency and, uh, you know, My favorite is all of a sudden you see Saban bitching about it, which is hilarious because, uh, you know, he's been playing his players for years. And now now everybody can play their players. And uh, (laughs) well, I just watched the movie
1: Blue Chips inspired by everything that's going on. I don't know if you remember this, but Nick Nolte. Yeah, Yeah. uh, I remember the movie. Yeah, yeah, based in essentially a fictional UCLA
2: with Shaq, right? Wasn't Shaq the, Uh the guy they brought in?
1: Oh, yeah. And, uh, Anthony Penny Hardaway. Yeah. And then one more dude, I didn't recognize I I got to look him up, but, uh, those dudes could play. Of course they were NBA guys just acting yeah. terribly. Yeah. Uh, and the joke that I kept remembering was from basketball, the running gag they have throughout the movie, they reference Shaq and they're like, come on, everybody knows he made his
2: money in college because yeah. he went to LSU for a year yeah. and then number one to Orlando. Uh, I, I yeah, I mean, it's, um, uh, you know, like the allure of being able to go to that school, uh, you know, go to something, work your way. I mean, it just kind of, I mean, with a stroke of a pen, it kind of went out and now you're in the situation where, you know, you're, I, I don't know. I, I think you guys got your work cut out for you and uh, oh, there's
0: no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. You it's, know, a wild, wild, it's a wild, wild west right now. I mean, it, it honestly is. And, you know, at least in the NFL, you got players association, you got a CBA, you've got, you know, a bunch of different things that kind of, control it and, and keep it balanced to some degree. And and right now you have this kind of gap of time where that doesn't exist. And it, it'll probably, who knows where, where it goes, but.
2: Well, the, uh, the one I was laughing about is, so in the NFL, they obviously take their taxes out. So you pay taxes before you get your check. Very, very smart. Yeah. The team holds back taxes. I don't think anybody's holding cat taxes back on these kids. These dudes are just writing them checks. All of a sudden these kids are going to get what ten uh, ninety nine because they're obviously not employees. They're going to get a 1099 for, you know, anywhere from 27 to 40% of what this money is, you know, state income tax, this, I mean, they're going to, all of a sudden they're going to be looking and being like, holy shit, I can't afford this Lamborghini. And, uh, that's going to be a scary thing. I mean, cause then, you know, now all of a sudden these kids aren't going to be able to claim dependents for their parents. I mean, it's added a interesting situation. I mean, even more so I'm wondering if, uh, there needs to be a. CEO strength coach or like how to navigate this thing for these kids because I mean they're getting thrust into something that they were probably two to four years away from and now all of a sudden they're 18 years old getting thrust into something that I didn't have to deal with in jobs in my 20s
0: yeah we're really fortunate here I mean we have the, the foster school of business which is top five business schools in the in the country and and we actually run an NIL course that they all have to take mm. um through the foster school of business and then we have I, I don't I think we're up to like Five or ten employees that are that are only kind of dealing with this kind of stuff in terms of helping our athletes navigate it, but so smart. It's um, I mean, you, you know, it's either you got people around you and you you got you're, you're one of the halves and you can support that, or you're or you don't and you're going to run into some of these tax issues and things along those lines. And you know, again, I mean, freaking me at 18 years old and you know, my first credit card. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't. I that was an idiot you know, everybody is. And and so now all of a sudden you're going to have people run around with all kinds of cash, uh, you know, hopefully we're, hopefully we're doing right by our athletes, but it, it's, it's, it's again, it's, it's everywhere.
2: My older brother gave me the best advice. When I went to college, he said, when you go to the ATM, only take out 20 bucks at a time, whatever you take out, you're going to spend. So if you take 20 bucks out, then every time you got to go to the ATM, you only take out 20, you spend 20. And he's like, if you do that, you'll be okay. And so to this day, like, even when I go to an ATM, if I take out more than 20 bucks, I'm like, Ooh, I'm take a hundred. I'm like, yes. So oh. it's, uh, we, it's, it's kind of just a funny thing. Like, uh, you know, I mean, and there was advice from my brothers who had been to college and Hey, this is how you're going to have to manage it. And now it's just kind of a, a different attitude. I mean, when, when I played in the NFL, I played with a, a bunch of dudes from Florida state and uh, like Trey Thomas and Corey Simon and these dudes. And what had happened was when they were playing, um, I can say this now, uh, Present NFL guys from Florida State used to come back and like take care of them and write them checks. Hey, I know you're like living this. And so it was kind of like when you go to the NFL, you go back and take care of those dudes. Well,
1: recently, Odell Beckham got caught on camera.
2: Yeah, doing that. Same handed thing. out
1: to LSU after the, their championship. Yeah. So, I mean,
2: I mean, and so when I asked, you know, Corey Simon showed up and he was like, Yeah, I drove a Range Rover in college. I'm like, dude, I had a $300 motorcycle. And he's like, Well, this is how we got taken care of. And, um, you know, I mean, so like this thing has been happening, uh, for a long time in a lot of different ways. And now it's just kind of putting it above board. So, and I'm, uh, you know, uh, but you know, like still in my head, I still think about, you know, these universities is these like amazing pillars of education and getting an opportunity to go there and, you know, immerse yourself within the culture and get a degree and become a student and, you know, take all these experiences to move forward. And I feel like, uh. I mean, these kids are so quick to pull the ripcord because they think that somebody doesn't like them. It seems weird to me.
0: Yeah, definitely from a developmental standpoint. I mean, you know, we talked about this a little bit off camera about having these crucible moments through their through their career and 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 really, you know, you know, not getting, you know, not traveling the first time is is you know, and navigating that, not you know, getting your butt kicked the first time in one on ones, you know, like these are times like, you know, you have to go through if you're going to be the player that you want to be. I think one of the things, I think I don't know if you saw a text when you were here, but we have, call it the starving board, right? Mm-hmm. So you're either, you're either satisfied, hungry, or starving, and we rank our guys from 1 to 120 as who's the most starving guy and who's the guy that's the least, you know, the, the, the most satisfied, you know? And and I think in this time of one-time transfer and NIL and all that, you got a lot of people placating the people and only telling them what they want to hear. And there's no growth in comfort. You don't, you don't get better hearing how great you are all the damn time, you know, and you have to have these moments where you're going to, you're going to, you're going to fall down and you're going to get picked back up and you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to work a little bit harder in the weight room and you're going to have to really dial in your nutrition and lose that, that extra 10 pounds or whatever it might be. And, um, you know and so what we try to do and i think it's worked fairly well is is to be completely transparent like this is where you're at this is you know this is why you're where you're at you know you didn't do this and this or you chose a shortcut here or whatever it might be and and put that up there for their peers to see because you know sometimes it's easy to go back to your dorm room with your buddies and be like yeah coach is freaking trying to keep me down and you know, and, and whatever. And then you, all of a sudden you lay it out for him. All right, like this guy missed class and he didn't show up, he showed up five minutes late for workouts and he, you know, he didn't show up for the extra lift and, you know, all those types of things. And it's out there for everybody to see when you have that champion, champions want to be pushed. They, they want to go. That's why Alabama is having success. That they're having is because they're surrounding themselves with guys that are going to freaking, they're going to work to, to get to the next level. Right. And they're going to, you know, they're going to it's iron sharpens iron. Um, and so, you know, they, they want to be pushed and and if you can create that environment, I think that's the only fighting chance that you got right now. Um, but you're right. I mean, right now it's, it's, it's very easy to take the easy road and there's no shortage of people out there saying, you know, Hey, come here. And, and, you know, and you got, I mean, as much as you got the, you know, the, 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 the blue blood programs of the world paying X number of dollars, you still got these, you know, random programs, being able to cover your freaking car or cover, you know, I mean, whatever. And, um, you know, for somebody that's struggling, that might, that's enough, you know, sometimes when you're, instead of, if you're not the starter, you're the third string guy.
2: Um, when you, I mean, obviously, uh, coming to Washington, I mean, um, when did you get hired there?
0: Uh, December, yeah, right so, after our bowl game,
2: yeah, yeah, so right after the bowl game, so you had an opportunity to really recruit through the whole off season and and like you know uh as these eighteen year old kids coming in, um, how did the conversation change in this n i l landscape opposed from what it looked like four or five years ago when you were having these same conversations?
0: yeah, I mean, obviously, as a strength coach, I'm not in some of the some of the higher conversations with the head coach and and whatnot, I mean, my relationship allows me to hear get, get a little bit more. Insight, but I mean, there's definitely. I mean, like for us, you know, we're not necessarily one of the have-nots, you know, at Washington, you know, but we're also not, you know, some of the haves in terms of, you know, like you know, some uh, some really affluent backers, you know. I mean, Seattle's a big tech company, you know, all those guys uh, necessarily always went to football games, you know, and so like it's interesting. Um, I think you got a handful of guys that come in, and it's just what what can you do for me? You know, and and for us for that, it's it's a, it's a pretty short conversation. You know, um, then there's the guys that are like, okay, I want you know, I want the culture, I want the I want you know the development, I want all those types of things, but also like this school's offering me this, and it's hard to kind of, you know, to you know, it's got to be somewhere in the ballpark type of thing, right? And and then it's and then it's the guys that are like, they get it you know, they come from good families or, or, you know, stable families or whatnot. And they're just like, look, I just want to go where I have the best opportunity. And, um, you know, and, you, and, and the challenge to your point is you got to, you got to get to the bottom of it pretty quick so that you can, you can find the people that you want to get, that you can, you can make sure they're on your campus, you know, and and, and deciphering that sometimes gets pretty tough. Well,
2: uh, for me, when I was going through the recruiting deal, I always wanted to talk to the strength coach um, just because I like lifting weights and like training um not realizing that actually as a player and I saw this in the NFL your interaction with the strength coach is about 90 to 10 to position coach I mean obviously you know you're with the position coach during the season and you see him a little bit but like the amount of time that you spend with the strength staff and the strength coach like far outweighs that of the actual football staff and um you know uh, I was thinking about you know obviously I met uh, Boyd Epley when I went to Nebraska Doc crease was at Colorado um uh, God, I, I can't remember who the strength coaches were. I mean, it was Eric Collin at Cal, and I can't remember who the guys were at SC and UCLA. Um, but it was, uh, God, I'll think about those UCLA guys.
0: might have been Yoxel or, um, God, who would have been back there that time?
2: Yeah, I can't remember, but uh, nice dude. Very, like, I mean, always, you know, when I always asked him, like, hey, like, because, uh, you know, I realized I was pretty physically, un- like, I, you know, wasn't as mature as some other guys. I remember I showed up as a rookie or as a freshman and my roommate had a full beard. Uh, I didn't even own a razor. I mean, I grew two inches in college. I, grew, I showed up at six, four and left at almost six, you know, just a hair under six, six. So like, I knew that that maturation phase was going to take, and was going to really be an important piece for me. Uh, you know, as you kind of get into this situation, um, you know, or, I mean, it, it, is that still a conversation or is it just like, Hey, you know what? Like we've gotten past the, Uh, The honeymoon and now this is a straight business deal and kids are just trying to cut the best deal they can. I mean, for me personally, I would want to go play for the best school I could just to give myself the opportunity to play on the biggest stage, Um, you know, because, you know, it it was interesting to, you know, once I got to the NFL, um, having guys that came in that played at some like national championships and some serious games, I'd always ask them, like, what was it like? Because I didn't get to play at those at Cal. And they yeah. were always like, it was, uh, it, it was more exciting than, you know, it, like it was exciting because you knew that it was finite. It wasn't going to extend next year It was you had this one opportunity, this one chance with these individuals and, uh, those guys all really cherished that. And I was always kind of bummed. I never got that opportunity.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I mean, to be honest with you, like you said, it's, you know, the good schools, like the good school can change overnight now, you know, I mean, you can have your entire roster leave tomorrow, you know, and, and pick up a whole new roster for the next year, you know, so that's, that's the biggest challenge there. But I, to your point, I, the question I, I think is, yeah, I, I meet with every single guy, which means that I'm having lots of extra meetings um, with recruits and we look at it as more of a, of a value add, you know, and we really try to show the difference in, in how I can develop somebody. And, and, and it used to be just, you know, here's, you know, the before and after picture of this guy and here's the, you know the kpis you need to hit and here's all the different things you know that we can do but now we actually kind of break it down into like how much do you pay for training how much is training with somebody at my caliber you know worth and then you pro- you try to put a dollar amount to that so now you're starting to kind of you kind of you're kind of pointing to these different areas that you typically would have taken for granted and say every school has this and try to separate yourself in that okay you know, training with a two-time strength coach of the year, there's probably a certain value that's associated with that. You know, and and um, maybe so, maybe different than maybe one of these other places that you're going, and um, and that's actually worked a little bit. You know, in terms of really trying to lay it out there in that kind of you know numbers black and white type of format, and um, and then of course, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, I think the, the beauty about the NFL is that at the start of the year. You know, you uh, you're, you're in camp, right. You cut the you cut the roster down to, you know, to 53. It's like, OK, everybody, all the riffraff leaves the building and it's like these are the 53 and the five, you know, uh, practice players and our staff and everybody in the building means something. Right. And so we're all going to you know, we're all going to play the season. That's our season. At the end of the year, we're going to hug and then we're going to shake hands and we're going to be like, I hope I see you next year type of thing. You know, and and you just come together for that one year. And and I think that's kind of where it's getting into where you have to really like you have to come together for that one year. And then at the end of the year, you just kind of, you know, you just kinda of like, where's the where's the dominoes fall? And then we're gonna go right back to work and and kind of have that kind of mindset. And I think the people that are doing that, you know, um, kind of having that free agent mentality, I think it's I think it's working for. I think the people that go against that with every fiber in their body, you know, and want to talk about the good old days and talk about, you know, whatever they're, they're really having a hard
2: time with it. Mm. No, that's great. No, it's a, uh, it's a great mindset. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like uh, unfortunately, and you hear this all too often, well, back in my day and how it used to be. And it's like, well, those days don't exist anymore, yeah. you know, and uh, you can either live in the past or you can get forward and look and realize that, you know, this is, you know, this is the way it is and, you know, you either prepare yourself and get out there. So I think it's fascinating that, you know, a lot of these coaches, um, you know, mainly in the age of somewhere in their late thirties to sixties, you know, and, you know, new and you know, a, you know were ex players and played in a different time. And now they're kind of in this evolution. And so I think if you have a growth mindset, you're able to, you know, come in, like you said, bring in the business school, give these kids a class, start understanding how to prepare them. More importantly, change the narrative within the coaches and kind of work within the tides, opposed from just putting your heels in and be like, "Well, this isn't how I did it." And well, you know, fucking Bear Bryant didn't give his kids water either, so you know, That's we right. got rid of that shit too. It's
0: so the first question I asked when nil when I nil hit the first time. I was like, "Okay, where's the where's the opportunity at
2: here?" You know, and so
0: you know, Fresno State, we had the Cavender twins, which were you know these two twin basketball players that were TikTok famous. You know that were the two first athletes to sign the NIL thing. You know, and so they signed a T-Mobile deal, and you know, um, right at twelve o'clock in New York City, and and you know, they ended up leaving.
2: did they go to but, Florida State? Was it Florida State, uh, State Miami, or Miami?
0: Miami, Miami, I think. But but you know, but there was discussion of like, okay, T-Mobile is going to make this individual investment into you, but now what about your training? What about the facilities? What about? These types of things, you know, and so is there opportunity there for these schools or for these you know programs to, you know, to make it a you know a, a to to benefit from this as well somehow, shape or form, you know, and and I love the fact that they're making money, you know. I, I think it's something that's you know I think it's it's just like with anything, right? It's extremes. Like it, what the extreme was, you can't go make freaking extra ten bucks you know, doing whatever, you know, signing autographs somewhere. And and so now we're, we've opened the floodgates and you can make a million dollars signing autographs now, you know, and that's, that's the part that's bad, but them making money when there's opportunity to make money, that's not a bad thing. And, um, you know, we just got to figure out how to navigate it, you know, and that's, it's, um, it's a challenge, but if we, if we freaking try to fight it, we're just going to get steamrolled. Yeah, sure. Well, part of that
1: challenge is for you is finding the right people to join your team and have your staff. So now I imagine that the, the, I mean, the stakes are higher, so it's more important for you to key in on finding the right people. And you've done this a number of times with the different schools and uh, professional opportunities you've had. So speak to us about your process for building a strength staff. What person- personality characteristics do you look for? What credentials are you aiming to find or is you leaning on the, the good guy principle or the, yeah. the, the layover test? Mm. Can I hang out with this person for six hours a day when we got nothing going on?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the very fortunate thing is I've, I've done this for so long now and I've had so many intern classes kind of come through. I think that's step one in this process is, is having this, this farm team of coaches come through and develop and then go off and, and continue to grow off of what you've you know, kind of the foundation that you've laid. I think the last time I counted, I think there's 31 division one head strength coaches that are former staff members, you know? And so, you know, it's, it's been, um, so to have that kind of input coming back into my program every year or being able to have those many, you know, that's just, that's just the head strength coaches not counting the assistants to be able to help promote and, and keep, coaches developing so that I don't have to spend all that time. And when they bring them back, so in this situation here, it was great. Cause I was able to bring in people that I had worked with, you know, other places that had worked for me and learned from my system and then turn around and built upon it. That had been the head strength coaches, other places, you know, that sat in my chair, which like you, you talked about earlier, like, the, you know, writing the sets and reps and progressions and regressions. Like that's the easy part of my job. That's I'd give me a back of a napkin. I'll do that all day long. That's easy. You know um, the management part of time, people, resources. That's that's the hard part, right? And um, so I was fortunate here. I, I brought all, all back all head strength coaches. You know, guys that have been other places. And so again, when we're we're laying out that value to those recruits and showing that these guys have all been in my job other places, there's there's value there as well. Um, and I think where things are headed you know, is, you know, ultimately everybody wants to be their own special snowflake, right? You know, and so everything's getting down to very individualized training, you know, and so it's eventually we have here, the way we broke it up is we have a head, you know, essentially a head strength coach for the inside the box offense and inside the box defense and outside the box offense and the outside the box defense, you know and then within that we bring in interns to kind of run they're like they're a small team and so mm-hmm. now we're running four different programs but we're having the entire defense in here at the same time you know and so that you're still building your camaraderie and your team chemistry but but you're being very individualized and specific but um your question is what i look for like for me there's a there's a, a personality profile like there's millions of them out there disc and Myers-Briggs and all those different things. But we, we I use the Gary Smiley, your lion, otter, beaver, retriever, you know, and they're all leaders. They all have strengths and weaknesses. The lion likes to pound his chest and stand up front and, you know, it uh, has great presence, command and foresight and those types of things, but like very bad with details. That's why I, I, I misplaced my calendar if you can see me and put it on the wrong day. To the right the right So I'm bad with details. So I, I need to have a beaver on staff. that's somebody that's very meticulous, right? That's going to, that's going to have 20 different to-do lists and can think about all the process things that I'm not thinking about, but that's the person that, you know, is not going to be the the person that stands up in front of the room and pounds their chest, right? Then you got to have your otter. Your, your otter is your playful one. That's the one that can relate to the players. That's going to dance when the music comes on. That's going to crack jokes and keep things light. And, you know, and, and have fun, but that's not the person you want handling your discipline, you know, and your accountability with the team. And then you got to have your retriever, which is just your loyal soldier that, that doesn't mind not having limelight, you know, um, but is when you walk out of the room, nothing changes, you know. And so when I was a young strength coach, <clears throat> I thought because I was a lion and I thought I was a pretty good strength coach, I only hired lions. So that's where you get the old, you know, you, you throw a bunch of lions in a cage and they fight like cats, right? That's, you know, you, you don't want that. And that's exactly what happened. I hired guys like Kaz Kazadi, who's you know great strength coach, but, you know, went on to be a, a strength coach of the year as well. Um, but he was a lion, you know, Frank Wintrick was a lion, you know, and those guys were great coaches, but weren't, we weren't the best team together. Now we had a great relationship. Don't get me wrong, but like, but I was, you know, it was a challenge, right, managing other lions. Whereas, when you're a, a young strength coach, you have to work on all those things. Like, I can't be completely bad with details just because I'm a lion and I'm an assistant strength coach, right? Um, so when you're when you're an assistant, you work on all of them and you try to improve your weaknesses. When you're a head strength coach, you 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 be what you are and then you hire your weaknesses. And so that's exactly what I did. Is I hired my weaknesses here.
1: Wheelhouse.
2: No, I was going to say I know mean, Kaz real well. Kaz definitely fits within that line. I can't see Kaz being the uh, who, who is the uh, the playful one, the otter. No, Kaz isn't yeah. an otter. Not at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he's got a little otter in him, but he's but he's, yeah. uh, but he yeah he's going to be a, you know he's going to be a guy that 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 has conviction and is going to you know and and uh, is awesome. He was I mean he was a stud for us in South Florida and went on to be you know got that head strength coach job at Baylor and he's done great from there. Um but you know but managing a lion when you're a lion is not an easy thing.
1: No. I'm a peacock, John.
2: You got to let me fly. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say uh, I thought you were a turkey, big-butted bird that makes a lot of mess and can't fly and just makes a lot of noise. Just do enough to not get fired. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh oh god. Yeah, no, uh, corporate turkeys we like to shoot them. That's all we do. Yeah. Uh,
1: what about credentials, man? I I see there's, there's conflict between different credentialing agencies. Um, like how do you test through that? Is that just the access to get your resume on the door? Uh, are you seeing more weight play towards it as, um, you know, more opportunities for education come into play? Like, does that still matter when, when you face the hiring process?
0: The only thing that really matters in the hiring process is whether or not you have a, a an accredited certification, right? Cause that's going to keep you from being able to be hired. So well, that's the CSCCA or the NSCA um, or NASM has an accredited. I uh, don't know. I think it's the American college of sports medicine. I can't remember. I might remember which one, but, but you have to have that to get hired. Now that, that, that doesn't mean there's, there's athletic trainers 20 feet from me that have their CSCS that, don't know how to coach anybody right you know um now from there i I put certifications in the three categories i have the accredited credential to to be able to do the job then you have philosophical certifications right so that's you know that's power athlete that's exos that's mike boyle certification that's you know whatever um and those are going to work for in your favor if you go to a program that values that methodology, right? So if somebody has Power Athlete on their resume, I'm going to value that that methodology, right? Um, and then you have what I call advanced learning, which is all your your you know your FMS, your your kettlebell, you know Pavel or whatever, right? You're going to have these different kind of speed certifications, nutrition, you know, precision nutrition, whatever. And those are going to be the value add where now you're looking you're feeling you're 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 you're, you're accomplishing some skills that i need on staff right and so mm-hmm. if you have precision nutrition i don't have a nutritionist that's going to stand out in a resume so um i think too many people too many young coaches they, they try to just get all these advanced learning certifications and just throw a bunch of alphabets behind their name and they can't get hired because they don't have the one that you know, the NCAA says you have to have.
2: right? Hey.
0: And then the philosophical ones, people got to realize that, you know, there's going to be people out there that freaking every, every word that John says they're going to freaking listen to. And then there's going to be ones out there that are going to be like, Oh, that John guy, man, I can't stand that dude. The worst. You know, <laughs> He's the worst, the worst. And, uh, you know, and so sometimes that works against you too. Right. You know, and so you got to read, you got to read the room a little bit, but, um, yeah. Uh, you got to have a balance and you got to have people that are going to fill those voids. You know, I'm going to always have somebody that's speed oriented. I'm always going to have somebody that's power oriented. I'm always going to have somebody that that can be my nutritionist liaison and kind of fill that void a little bit. Um, I'm always going to have somebody that's kind of corrective exercise, you know, Mm -hmm. on staff.
1: Yeah. Big component uh, of our philosophical perspective is we aim and, and target specifically the the social intelligence. Like push all of our, our coaches to go for uh the NSCA, CSCS, because that gets you access, yeah. opportunity. Well, but then it, we help it, get you the job. It allows it, you to get
2: in the door and at least start the conversation. Exactly. I mean, um I I think so many times people um like you have to do the and I not the basic minimum, but like you have to just allow yourself to get in the room. Like, you know, you have to have the right things on the resume to you know, if you're applying for a job, i I hope you have some experience in the job you're applying for. I mean, we've been, you know, recently going through a hiring deal and put some hiring stuff out and had some people apply that had zero experience in the job they were hiring for. And it's like, well, like, okay, so if I bring you in, like, how are we going to make sure? I mean, I can bring you in as an intern and, you know, give you three months to see if this fits for you. But if you're hiring for a specific position, like if I come into the strength coach and, uh, you know, I have no experience as a strength coach. Don't like to lift weights, but I was a philosophy major and I understand the philosophy of various strength coaches. I mean, you're going to be like, that's great. Right. I mean, if I'm if if I'm looking to fill this philosophy piece, you're my guy. But unfortunately, I need somebody that can be on the floor and get what I need out of these guys.
0: Big big difference between credentialed and qualified, right? Credentialed means you have the the certifications and 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 doesn't mean that you're a bad coach. But you know, but but when people fail to realize, especially young strength coaches, what they fail to realize is that. Buy-in is 99, 95% of the, of the deal, right? So mm-hmm. if I'm sitting at the Philadelphia Eagles and John Wilburn comes in and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put you with the GA from Alabama last year that won the national championship that worked with the offensive line, defensive line, or whatever. Or I'm going to put you with this CSCS that worked with swimming last year from whatever national champion swimming program. Then, like John's gonna take like the swimmer and say, "Okay, thanks very much. It's nice meeting you." And then he's gonna go to the just pick put him down, up, right.
2: put yeah. him yeah. down over here. I'd be like, "Here, this is what we're gonna do. Make sure you rack my weights." <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and it, and it's just that the buy-in's not there, right? You yeah. know, so you, the biggest thing that I see more than anything is people that they're not willing to sacrifice to get the experience to build the resume for the job that they want, mm. right? Or they take the easy road. They go take the paid performance facility job working with. You know, Olympic athletes or whatever, you know, when they really want the, the, you know, the freaking the job at the Buffalo Bills, you know, and it's like, it's not, you know, that resume is not the same. And we got to be able to not just sell the fact that you got your qualifications, we got to be able to sell you to the players and the coaches that, that, you know, that, that are going to work with you. Mm-hmm. you know, How does that work? I, I always thought on that.
2: Like, um, for me personally, Uh, like, and I, you know, I used to run into this in, in the NFL constantly where you'd have, you know, different guys come in position coaches that didn't, that never played in the NFL and didn't really ever play football at a high level, but they were good coaches. Uh, I can't imagine in the strength. I mean, I can think of all the strength coaches that I played, that, uh, I worked with all had some foundation in football. Like, you know, I mean, Kaz was our assistant at, uh, Kansas city and Kaz played in the NFL and was a you know player and, you know, all the guys that played. Uh, you know, Mike Wolf was and Tom Knavey, you know, I mean, all these guys were uh, legit. And I always wonder as a, a strength coach, if you, you know, cause I was thinking too, even as a young guy, um, you know, you come in and if the coach hasn't necessarily played the game, uh, you know, and like, I, I wonder, like, let's say you hire, uh, you know, like me, for example, and you bring in, you're like, Oh, John played 10 years in the NFL, pretty strong dude, you know, done this. If you have a question about anything, he's run business, you know, like, easier guy to go talk to. And then for young guys come in and you're like, Holy shit, dude, this dude played for a decade in the NFL. I'm probably going to listen to him. So I wonder if that like cache, uh, helps you as a strength coach to hire guys that have a little bit of experience on that side of the house.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. I, I rarely hire somebody that didn't play football. You know, when I'm in a football setting only like right now, I only have football. So, um, I don't, I don't, I get a lot of heat for this actually, when I go speak at conferences about resume building or, you know, hiring or whatever. Cause I, I, I always say this, that I, I don't think you can be, I think you can be a very good strength coach. I don't think you can be a great strength coach if you've never played the game or, or even played it at that level. Like unless you've walked into a, a stadium where 70,000, 80,000 people hate your guts, like you don't understand that stress that's on your body, you know, that, that, that you're having to deal with. Right. So Um, so I think this to to your, I think there's two ways to to overcome that one. One is that you are a player at that level, in which case you probably didn't get the scientific background and the education that you probably needed to be elite in the strength world. Um, and so you got to go put in the legwork, right? You got to go back, you got to get the degrees, you got to get the certifications, you got to, you got to, you got to read, you know, I'm not saying you have to serve certifications to be smart in this area, but you gotta, you gotta put in the 10,000 hours, right? Um, or if you were a guy that didn't play like I played at a little in the high school, right? I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a great college football player. I mean, I was, a, I mean, I was, a, I was a good for my level, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't John Wilburn's level, right?
2: Well, um, you were Rafael uh, Rafael Ruiz level. Yeah, I was oh, i was hey, I was, was, <laughs> was going to say you're, uh, yeah, you're Rafael Ruiz level, which I hold in but, high esteem. So but, I thought they were FCs. you oh, had to overcome it. What's that?
0: Then you have to overcome it with, you have to overcome it with experience. Mm. You know, you have to build a residence. So, you know, now you go to Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then NFL Europe and then South Florida and and on and on and on. Right. You know I mean? And you have knowledge of, you know, through experience.
1: Um, While we're on RAF, Sam Houston state football, I had an internship at university of Texas with coach Benny Wiley, Mm. who was RAF's teammate in college and talk about not reading your room. Well, I thought I would go up and through John and connection to Ruiz, like go shake my hand and introduce and name drop, drop Raf. Benny immediately says, it's a smart guy. And then gave me a lot of shit assignments for the next eight weeks. So
2: it's like, ah, well, uh, here's the thing I love about Raphael and uh, I will always be in a Raphael camp, but there's a lot of people that rough rubs the wrong way because he is so good at what he does and uh, oh, so uh, smart. oh dude it's ridiculous um I've it's always smart guy yeah it's- like he's <laughs> he's not the I mean like if we go out and we would uh we used to go out and drink beers and get wings like one night a week and Roth could you know tell jokes and be fun but like that was the only setting other than that it was like serious yeah there's like <laughs> another like you were using line in this there's like a monk piece of that like the praying mantis almost that <laughs> like Roth fits bad, into bad and uh like um, I could see where a lot of people wouldn't like him because um, he commands a room. And I think like, you know, he's a sharp dude. And like, you know, I mean, still to this day, uh, you know, if I got a question and, you know, I always reach out and talk to Roth on certain things. And like, you know, I mean, I, I hold him in heavy weight and he's, you know, I could see where maybe a dude like Benny Wiley, like that's not, you know, that's not who he is. And um, but yeah, I mean, Roth's, I mean, oh, Benny's
1: a lion. That's for sure.
2: Is he? Is he really a
1: lion? Oh, man. Well, yeah. dude. I saw he's that T-shirt he had on. USC,
2: dude. He's, he's yeah. Oh Yeah. He's Those next good next yeah. is a good dude. Yeah. Yeah. It is, oh, yeah. It is
0: a great dude. I think Raph was great. You know, when Raph was at the, was Tampa Bay when I was there and, you know, like traditional high intensity program, like one set to failure, high intensity program. And I had come from a weightlifting background. And, and so, like, you know, Raph and I, we, we'd go through kind of the education, and then I'd kind of get with Raph, and Raph would kind of pick it apart from that side. And, like, I ended up benefiting double because I, I, I put all these tools in my toolbox because I was getting the best of kind of both worlds there. And um, I think Raph, you know, that's, that guy's, like, there's nothing that guy won't do for you if you're in his camp.
2: Well, yeah, uh, the funny story I always tell is, uh, so I moved down to Tampa. Um, kind of on accident, my older brother was living down there, and he's like, "Hey, let's buy a house down here." So I went down to buy. Like, we went to go buy this deal, and it's like we're closing on the house like three days before. My brother Rob gets a job in New York and basically pulls a ripcord, and like the money had already gone hard. So I ended up buying this house and living in Tampa. Call my agent, and I was like, "Hey, I need somebody to train with." He gives me Rob's number. I go out and I train with him, not knowing anything, and I, I couldn't tell if he was nineteen or fifty six. You know, he's Filipino. Yeah, like, I just right. couldn't tell. I just assumed he was way well older than me. <laughs> And so I trained with him that whole year. And then I went back and had a great season, show back up off season. I remember my birthday's end of March and his like, our birthdays are like a day or two apart. And um, he's like, oh, what are you doing this week? I'm like, going out for birthday. He's like, it's my birthday too. I was like, well, let's go out. And so when we got out, they brought the cake out. And I was, I want to say I was 25 and he was like 26. And like, he had one more candle than me. And I'm like, you're 26 years old. He's like, yeah, I never told you. i was like, no, I would have never fucking hired you if I knew you were my age. <laughs> I was like, thank God you didn't tell me. And he's like, well, yeah, well, like you couldn't tell. I'm like, no, you're Filipino. I didn't know if you were like 100 or 40 or t- 10, 20. Like, you, you have an age. He still has an age. No. And um, he it was just right. a, no. I mean, he still looks the same. <laughs> and uh, he's like, was it a problem? I'm like, yeah, I would have never. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm like, I, you can't be much smarter than me. And uh, we had a great relationship. Uh, but I just laughed at like sometimes like age, you know, people discount you just for being young. And I'm sure in like the strength game too, you know, you can bring in a guy who's, you know, amazing. And he might be young and it might be just the fact that he hasn't had enough life experience or you're like, you bring this dude in and you're like, don't tell anybody you're 25. These kids ain't going to fucking believe a word you have to say.
0: Well, I think you know? the biggest thing that I, I respect about you guys and just, you go back to the kind of that phil- philosophical, uh, you know, curriculum and whatnot certification is that, I mean, you guys are principal based right? You took the best from from every world, right? And 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 you enhanced it and put it together. in, in what makes sense from an athlete football perspective, and 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 then on down into you know each different discipline. But um, to me, that's that's the key, right? You know, that's why it, it's it, it's it's stood the test of time because you you, you constantly evolve and and constantly grow and constantly challenge it. Your ideals and and you go and. I think there's a lot of coaches out there to your, you know, what you're saying earlier that really struggle with change, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's it's changing philosophy, changing what's going on in landscape college football or whatever it might be. And, you know, that's the only change is the only constant. Sure. I mean, you know, there'
2: uh, like, there's a ton of stuff and we talk about this, at, yeah, I, mean, I mean, like the idea of growth mindset versus a fixed mindset.
1: Exactly. So within the, the methodology, Ron, and this is a key factor that we, we lead off our chapter on principles with your quote to be a, a principle-based coach, and then go into just an a, a understanding of philosophy versus principles. And we encourage people, have your own philosophy but here's sure. our opportunity to empower thousands of coaches by teaching a principle-based approach and within so we released the course in uh, 2017 and here we are in 2022 and have rethought, refilmed and rewrote that chapter so it's still a principle-based but essentially what we've done is broken apart coaching principles and then programming principles yeah smart even down so we we are speaking to and coaching through the lens of athleticism but then rely on science-based principles for the programming mm-hmm. and then allow them the opportunity to really embrace what they are coaching for. Could be, uh, could be Olympic weightlifting, could be powerlifting, but we are speaking to athleticism. So it's similar sets and reps, but set up execution that really empowers the transfer
2: well it 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 takes place a little bit farther than that Mm -hmm. if you look at like science i mean i know people are like science bitches but um you know if you (laughs) execute a study and you publish said study uh for it to have validity somebody who's not you has to be able to execute that study and get the same result i mean that's like the scientific method like you know i can't just magically go in my lab and come up with like oh i turned lead into gold this is how you do it yeah cold fusion and You know, and then nobody can replicate it. Like that's not science. That's you just being a fucking charlatan. So I think with what we wanted, uh, especially the, you know, the methodology and the idea of athleticism, I wanted to be able to provide people this blueprint and this training and then be able to give it to people. And we did. We were very fortunate when I retired from the NFL to get approached by CrossFit about going out and teaching the CrossFit football seminar where we implemented this program for free and then traveled the world for over nine years and met, you know, tens of thousands of people that did the program. And all the results were very, very similar. You could go and say, hey, you know what? This was measurable and repeatable. This person who was in you know, the Arctic Circle got the same result as the person here in New Zealand. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden you start finding certain truths within training and within programming and allow us to build upon that. Whereas I right. think all these other people come out and they're like, well, I have an idea. And yet they never really work within a large enough sample size. You know, what's incredible for what you've done. I mean, look at all the different places you've been. And the system works and allows people to mature into it and go on and create better things. I mean, that's the strength. I mean, that's the you know, uh, you know like the power of the program. And more importantly, what you're doing as a strength coach is helping this maturation process, I think. And, and you've, you've seen this too, where coaches have incredible success at one place. And then they get hired with all these accolades and they're out in two years. And you're like, dude, that guy crushed it. How come he couldn't replicate? And that's something that's always puzzled me with professional sports and college sports, whether it be often you know uh, uh, you know head football coaches' philosophies, how come they can be so successful in one place, but yet can't replicate it in others? And uh, that was something that I didn't want to have happen. I didn't want to have the program just be able for us to replicate it in the confines of you know within the walls of our training. It need to be able to hand it to people. This is it. I need you to go out and use this independently and report back. And the results have always been the same.
0: Well, I think the other part of that equation is you. I mean the reason why it doesn't work always is because of the people you know and and so the culture piece is and, and as much as you guys put into the culture piece of power athlete that i mean that's that's why it's successful as it is more than anything i think and um it's why guys have tremendous success at one place and go to another and fail is is they don't always have the same people with them or they or they they get they start reading the newspaper clippings or or whatever it might be. But, um, I think it's, a, is that it's a, because
2: they don't put the foundation first? I mean, that, that's the question I, I possess. Like, I mean, you know, we, uh, as we were kind of game planning over this, like that idea. And Chris was like, you know, that culture becomes so important. Is that like, you know, you come in and you're like, I got to make sure I got the right staff. Like the weight room has to look the right way. We have to understand this. I mean, you start going through all these different pieces and you're like, you know what, like the sets and reps and all that other stuff aside, we have to work on getting everybody bought in on this is who we are in this culture, because this is how we create a winning organization.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. I, I mean, I, I believe that to my core. Um, I think it's what I've tried to do everywhere I've been. I think it, you'd start to naturally gravitate to the people that do something similar. So that's why, you know, that's why I'm with coach DeBoer and, and you know, I'm believing him he believes in me. I think that's, you know, hopefully it, it works here as well, but this guy, you know, Coach is, I think, you know, uh, I think he's like 115 and like 10, something like that, in his head coaching record. You know, it, and he did it, you know, at at smaller programs, building that foundation uh, throughout. So, you know, and, that, and and really, that's the foundation. The foundation is is treat people, but you know, good. You know, the platinum rule—not treat people like they want to be treated, but treat people like, or don't treat people like you want to be treated. Treat people like they want to be treated. Um, and you know, that changes each and every place, but you kind of, you get it dialed in and, and, um, and then you're just consistent.
2: Do you know uh, what my number one thing for culture is? And I can tell you from having played on really winning teams and really shitty teams and all the other thing, the single thing I can tell you by the culture. And it's, uh, like you wouldn't even believe it, but it's 100%. It's the quality of the food. (laughs) <laughs> really? When we were in Philly, we showed up and we were in veteran stadium and like, dude, it was like, uh, we had to order all of our meals out cause the food was so bad. And then all of a sudden Andy, who likes to eat Andy Reed, uh, comes in and we go in the new facility. He goes and hires this world famous chef. And it's like, we're going to eat better than anybody in the NFL. And I'm not kidding you. Well, the first day we came in and ate in there. Uh, and I had the, the guy who was the chef. It's like anything you want cooked, bring it in the morning. I'll cook it and leave it to you. At the end of the day I bring the guy like a Turkey. I bring him a prime rib. And I would leave with this and have this at home. And I'm not kidding you. When I left there, I didn't realize it as a youngster, but as an older man, I like cry now for the fact that like the food was so good. And then I went to Kansas city and the food was fucking awful again. And it was terrible. It was cold cuts. We did the exact same thing. And it was a weird thing where like that small thing of showing up and having like really high quality food, it's always available and you're treated really well on that result. Like, man, I could, I would definitely take a pay cut and there's a lot of shit I would take to have a really high quality food and walk in and sit down at a meal. Cause I mean, I, I cook all my own food. um. So I I like, uh, it's something like, uh, maybe it's not as important to other people, but like, uh, like how I prepare the food, I go out and I shop and I like to do that. Like it's something that I've always done. And so to see somebody else take that care and to walk in and have really good food. When I went to Nebraska on that trip, uh, they had this amazing like a um, training table and like ranchers had donated cows. And I remember we ate like every meal at their training table and it was phenomenal. They had uh, Alaskan cream, uh, uh, Alaskan King crab flown in and we, we went there and ate. It was fucking incredible. And I remember thinking like, Holy shit, this is amazing. Go to Cal. I mean, obviously I went for the education and go for the food, but now as I kind of think back on it, having a really high end training table and taking care of your players like that goes so far having, you know, gone into the NFL and then when went to the Patriots, I mean, the food was good again, but I mean, fuck, they're not going to feed Tom Brady crap, which was kind of cool because you knew they were going to take care of us because Tom would be pissed. So as I look back on it, I think like, man, like good food and treating the players really well in that department, I think goes a long way. People be like, Oh, how, you know, like, what. Well, you know, one of the first questions, how it is around here? And players like, dude, the food's amazing. People are like, really, is it really good. You're like, yeah, it crushes it. I can't. But I'm so excited to come every day. Like, that's a real it's thing.
0: The, the funny thing is that it, it, from a coach perspective, it probably wasn't even. It was probably more of an afterthought of the food. But the, it was, if we have good food, then they're going to sit around and they're going to eat more. You know, they're going to talk to each other. They're going to hang out. They're going to bond. You know, and it's really, it's, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's food. It's shelter. It's autonomy it's providing those things. And how do you, you know, how do you meet those needs? And if those needs are met, then it's gotta be really like, you're right. Then you're going to go somewhere. You're going to be like, no, this sucks. And and you're going to know the difference right away.
2: Well, and and Andy went to the Kansas city chiefs and I can tell you, and I've never been to their new facility and I've never, I can't say this, but I guarantee the food is fucking amazing. I remember he got up in a meeting. He's like, this food is fucking awful. I don't even want to eat here. This is going to change. We're going to get this fixed. And we were like, yes, and the food was amazing. And then he went to Kansas City and I bet you the food was amazing. But it's really indicative of facil- of uh organizations, like how they treat you when you travel, the food, the accommodations, how they take care of you. Like, I mean, I knew players that were, you know, so excited to go play in Seattle because, you know, private jets, how they were taken care of. Like that stuff goes a long way. I mean, obviously the money in that is all of the, you know, kind of an ego piece, but knowing that the that the team is investing, so like my only thing would be if uh, you know, like if you were like you know we're gonna build culture the food has to be good well my
1: comment for you ron how was the bangles facilities because i've heard some things <laughs>
0: <laughs> trying to think about the food situation it, it wasn't terrible but it wasn't it wasn't the best i've ever been around either
2: uh bobby williams and bobby played at the, the bangles and i remember when i talked to bobby i'm like how was it he's like food's awful it's so much better in Philly." Like. <laughs> that's the first thing he said to me yeah i and- mean yeah,
1: their locker room is separate from the fields. Like I was learning all this stuff about them when they were on their their big playoff run to the Super Bowl, and how yeah. just I was rooting for them. So hopefully these things could change for the players because it just didn't look professional. Well, biggest
0: issue with the <coughs> goes back to what we were talking about. Biggest issue with the food there was it was an afterthought. It was kind of in this little closet that you would go in and you would get your food, and then there really wasn't anywhere to eat it so they're in their locker mold and cereal you know and you know i would always go get my egg scramble or whatever and go back to the to the strength office you know and so i i I do think you you break bread with people you get closer right you 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 um you live together and it's a safe environment like you get closer and you know, still great, you know, that's why the great teams win, the teams that could come together for that one year and have that one run. Sometimes it's sometimes it's a song, sometimes it's, a, uh, you know, somebody dying, you know, like a person, you know, some sort of, you know, rallying cry that way or whatever it is, but, you know, it's it's got to be something that's bigger than you and it's got to be that, like, those needs are met. And the coaches that look at it from a player's perspective and they try to say, okay, if I was a player, what would I want, usually do pretty good.
2: Is it, um, is it, uh, you know, like, uh, Seattle's been obviously in the news for some of the social issues. I mean, the chop, that whole deal. I mean, um, you know, like looking, I mean, one, I don't trust the conventional media at all. So like every, like nothing's as good or bad as it ever looks it's the optics on it, but you know, where we sit like Seattle and, you know, obviously Cali, who we know, um, you know, works as a, you know, PD and that. So we kind of get a little inside, but you know, is that something where kids show up, like have questions about, Hey, what's going on here from the news? Seattle looks like this, like the wild West in terms of, you know, um, autonomous zones and this, I mean, is is that something to manage?
0: Yeah, it's not. um, I wouldn't say that, that, that we, there's really like a fear about the city or anything along those lines. I think there definitely are tied into social issues. There's no doubt about it. You know, and I think, I mean, you got, you don't get into, you know, to Washington without at least having a three, five GPA or higher, you know? And um, so we've got some really smart kids that are, that are motivated by making by making change. And so um, that's the, that's the bigger things that we deal with is like, you know, is, is, uh, the crusader, you know, every, uh, everything being there, uh, being a, an issue that they want to jump, you know, to be a, involved with. And if that's the worst thing that we got to deal with, that's a freaking awesome. That's an awesome deal. Right. You know, these guys want to change the world. I love it. You know, but you got to teach them that you can't take everybody's crusade either, you know, and, um,
2: yeah, pick and choose. And, be a beast crusades.
0: Well, yeah, just, you know, just make sure that you, you know, that, what you, what you do put time towards, you can make it, you know, that you can make change. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, you, you got to be a little bit like, you know, my, I, you know, I make sure that my words go through a filter before I let them out, out of my out of my mouth. Sometimes, you know, I got to make sure that I'm, I'm, you know, look at, you know, just making sure that I'm not offending anybody in any type of way. And, and that could be something really subtle or that could be something, you know, egregious, you know, and, um i'm just not that way anyways but you'd be some you know but there's there's definitely uh it's it's different than the
2: southeast yeah well you forget i went to berkeley which is probably even more sensitive than where you're at so <laughs> <laughs> definitely
0: yeah. uh, you I, know i you know what i like what, what's cool about seattle what i really like about seattle is you got this freaking fortune 500 amazon google my or amazon microsoft you know all these different and then you got freaking blue collar fishing dock, you know people that all freaking go to the same bars you know and and it's uh it's a pretty cool environment that way you know and and so that's that's what's neat to our athletes i think is being able to come in and kind of see be- best of both worlds and and um hopefully we're putting together a workman's mentality but but it gets harder and harder each year. I think that's just. I think that's just. Any predictions for the Huskies in uh, the coming
2: season?
0: Yeah, if we, I think mean, we can catch fire. We got a really, really. I mean, we're we're set up in a pretty good way, scheduling wise. Um, but we gotta we gotta come together, you know. And like I said, it's 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 been hard to manufacture those crucible moments, um, and those in re- real adversity, um, just because of. You know like a lot of our kids live 30 minutes away you know they don't all live around each other um you know when they're here they don't want to they don't want to have a bad relationship with anybody so that that kind of peer accountability is is um something that you know we gotta you know we're gonna have to go through some tough times and come together in the fire a little bit and that's the beauty about football It's it's good you're gonna it's gonna find you one way or another you know um and so I think I think we're in a position to be able to, to, to capitalize on that when it comes.
1: One last question for you: I mentioned earlier some some evolution within our approach to to teaching and viewing and communicating. In 2015, you dropped CEO Strength Coach, and you talked about three big skills: technician for co- coaches, being a technician in your field. Uh, this is why you know that first level get to a place where you can learn sets and reps and then elevating to being an effective manager. And last but not least, and this is something the light bulb went off when reading way back when being an entrepreneur within the strength and conditioning industry. So that mm-hmm. wasn't even something that crossed my mind, but was introduced in, in 2015. So since then we're talking years, are there any other pieces and components that you would add if writing CEO Strength Coach
0: 2.0? Yeah, I think, I think I definitely would have gone a little bit deeper in the entrepreneurial part in terms of like really helping people define what their platform is. I think whether or not it's social media platforms or YouTube or writing or podcasting or speaking or whatever it might be, you have to you have to build an audience first. I think one of the, one of the funniest things that I, I go through a lesson every, every year with my interns and, and I, and they're all young and they're all new. And when I ask them what they want to do, they're all like, well, I want to, I want to mentor other coaches. And I'm like, you're, like, you're just getting started, <laughs> you, know, you, know, like, what you, you know, you're just getting started. And, and uh, I think there's something to that in that, you know, there's always going to be, depending on if you're putting content out there, There's always going to be somebody that's walking a few steps behind you, you know? And so, yeah, you want to build that up, that audience and you want to, you want to grow that. Um, And so, but I think too many people put, you know, now it's, it's getting easier, right? To put a podcast out there, put a book out there, put these things out there, but they're doing it with no audience, you know? And so those books are falling flat. Those podcasts are falling flat um, and, and those types of things. And so I think that's the biggest thing is trying to figure out like, how do you, you know, how do you build your following? And then how do you cultivate that? And you guys do such a phenomenal job of that. You'd be better at it than I would be to speak about it. But, um, but I think, you know, um, first is, is having that platform where you can build some eyes to look at what you're doing. It's putting out really good content, you know, and, and I think, you know, what, what, I think most people, I, I, the biggest mistake or the biggest thing that I think a lot of coaches, when they read that book, they thought that what I was telling them is to get out of the business and and that you know in that entrepreneurial space, it's like you're, you're you're building this side hustle so that way someday you can you can leave what you're doing. And that wasn't my intent at all. My my intent was how do you how do you provide stability in an unstable world? You know, and strength conditioning is an unstable world. I mean, I can go from you know, I, I I've I've made nine thousand dollars a year doing what I'm doing, and I've made a lot more than that doing what I'm doing, and not done and I've done the same amount of hours and the same job and same work ethic and and all those things, and so my 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 salary can fluctuate in a big big way, um, and so for my family, I need to be able to provide stability in an unstable world, and so that's where some of those things that that entrepreneurial spirit can come in and figuring out how to leverage, how to leverage, you know, this platform that a lot of people have um, can be huge, but that only works if you put out good content, which means you need to niche down into a topic that you can become an expert in and then, and then put out, you know, put it out on a platform that you can get eyeballs on it, you know? And, and um, I think too many people are just trying to, you know, they're, they're just trying to go just, Vomit, whatever. And there's no real thought process to that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I didn't take it that way. I think I, I took it the intended way. And then you use social media, still do, as essentially an education piece component and view coaching as a career, like a long term. So what I do now affects the long term, 10 plus years from now, within my career as a coach. Uh, and I mean, over that time, even back then, 2015, if you look at the content, it's still connected to performance, movement, strength training, whether it's my videos or talking and speaking to how my athletes are moving and aiming to. It's not going to be exactly perfect back then, but you'll hopefully go on an evolution journey with me as a coach as I improve communicating and so on. So I, Certainly, that that was the spark that I took away. Maybe... I I'm not sure what they were they were reading at that point, but um, yeah, man, it was career minded back then, um, rather than just improving abilities to coach. No, this is a career.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know. I mean, I think there's a lot of people. I, I, I actually I wrote a new book, but I haven't released it yet because it was going to be right during right during COVID. Um. And I didn't want to come across like I was trying to make money off anybody in COVID. And then now it, it is all about kind of taking this and building this brand around the job that you have, you know, and, and creating these bubbles of, of income in different ways. And um, to me, that's what it is. It's, you, you've got to figure out like what your passions are and, and create kind of these, um, you know, not side hustles, but kind of complementary skills that can make you a little extra money um, to provide that stability. And um, that's why, I mean, I go back to the name of the, of the book, The CEO of Strength Coach. I think if you can do what, what I have to do on a daily basis, which is go out there at 5.30 in the morning and motivate a bunch of 18 to 22 year old kids to go run through a wall each day and then come back and pick up the pieces. Like you've got a skill set that a lot of people don't have a lot of, you know, if you were doing anything else in this world, you would probably be the CEO of a company. And, um, and so developing those skills, but then also trying to find these little small pathways to create that stability. If You can do that. um, Then you can do this for a long time and you can impact a lot of people. You know, if not, then you're going to probably be out of the profession in, in, a, in a short amount of time and you're going to be uh, disgruntled about your experience.
1: Yeah. And angry and blaming somebody similar to the athlete that, oh, the coach hates me. You're a coach that oh, the, the administration hates me or something. Well, it,
2: it feels like, I mean, you know, I mean, coaching, whether it be football coaching or strength coaching, I mean, there's. I mean, the wrong word is nepotism, but, uh, you know, you tend to hire your friends or you, you tend to work with people that you like. And, you know, like, hey, like your, um, you know, your buddy becomes head strength or head football coach. He brings in his guy and you're his guy. And then you bring that on and like, the you know, ability to create relationships. How many people go in? It's like, I'm just going to do my job and I don't care if people like me. And you're like, well, you're not going to get another job because nobody's going to want to work with you. And, um, you know, I remember my old neighbor, Joe Capucho, used to say you make money with friends. And, yeah. uh, you know, you can make money with enemies, but it's going to be painful money. And I can't imagine, especially in the coaching deal, you want people that, you know, you've gone to war with that You can trust that, you know, people that, you know, you uh, understand their confidence that you've worked with that, you know, and I'm sure, you know, you've gotten resumes from guys and you take a look, Oh, we work from this guy. It's the first guy you call him a good guy. Yeah. Cause you trust that in- individual and he's not going to steer you wrong. And if he says, no, that guy sucked, that thing's going to get thrown in the trash. Hey, I never got a chance at that place. Well, it just so happened that the guy you work for, you know. Ten years ago, didn't like you, and you know he was best man in my wedding. I mean that happens more and more. Like it's just, I mean, it's hilarious to me looking in the NFL. Like, uh, I got a call from my offensive line coach from the Eagles, Juan Castillo, who's the tight end coach for the Redskins, who ran into um, his name
1: is Logan Paulson. Logan
2: Paulson, Uh, and you know, I mean, and you know, and uh, John Matz goes there. I mean, Ron Rivera. I mean, all these individuals that were on this staffs. I mean, you know, they all go and they hire their buddies. And this guy was good for me. I mean, look at you know, uh, Sean McDermott, who was our quality control. And then, you know, Spags is his D coordinator. I mean, all these guys tend to work and it's just these little pockets and they bring in guys that they've worked with and do well. And I understand this guy's philosophy. So, I mean, I think a bigger part of the sets and reps and all this other stuff is, can you be, uh, you know, a good friend? Are you, you know, the type of guy who's dependable, you know, when the, when the bombs start coming, are we hunkered down in this bunker together and we're going to survive this thing? So I think especially for young guys is like, you know, make sure you get in there and prove yourself. And more importantly, like, you know, go read uh, Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people and fucking learn how to be a friend and make friends and like, you know, have people like you and be a person who's dependable. And I think that experience like that, if anything, cause, um, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you were on a staff with a guy 10, 15 years ago and Hey, you know, like I was, you know, we go out and get drinks or like I was thinking about, uh, when I was at the Chiefs, uh, one time, you know, we got off the plane. I'm like, Cavs, what are you doing? I took him out to dinner. We had drinks. Uh, years later, I go to Baylor when Cavs is there, and he's like, Hey, I want to introduce you to this guy. When I was a, you know, young NFL assistant, this guy was a, you know, uh, you know, big time starter, and used to, you know, take me out and eat, and you know, was always happy to sit there and talk. And he introduced me to these guys. I mean, I didn't know Cavs to, you know, I, I one I didn't know he's an ex player and didn't know any history about him until we sat down and I realized he was just cool in the weight room, and I saw him yep. kind of milling around. I'm like, Come on, let's go get some to eat. Yeah. I, it's, uh,
0: I mean, you go to strength coach Twitter right now and there's no shortage of people that are disgruntled about the profession and, and think that it's just a good old boy network and, and those types of things. And, but you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Like this job, there's, there's so much that there's so much on the outside world that can break you down from the, you know, the inside out, if you allow it. And so the trust piece is by far the most important thing right and that and that part of it has got to be earned it's got to be earned through relationship building and all the things that you're talking about and and then beyond that it's it's freaking making sure that you um like if i make a mistake here it's on espn you know it's like, it's, not a, it's, it's freaking the idiot strength coach at freaking washington did this right and you know, and that and that's something that's hard that, you know, again, you go back to the qualified versus credentialed, like the credentialed person doesn't understand that, you know, and, and it doesn't matter what degree you got, it doesn't matter what certification you got, what matters is, is when your star receiver will come on and cuss you out in the middle of things, are you going to freaking punch the kid or not, you know, and or can you handle that situation, and has nothing to do with X's and O's and strength and conditioning, and um I think you're right. I mean, you gotta you gotta build that kind of trust with that, with that, that level of people, and then you gotta you gotta see those types of situations happen so that you know how to handle them, right or wrong. I've seen plenty of coaches handle it the wrong way. I've seen plenty of coaches handle it the right way, you know. And you take mental notes and say, okay, that's that's definitely not how I want to handle that in the future. You know, when that resented that case and. You know, then you deal with all the things like, I mean, coaching through 9-11 and coaching through the Afghan war and coaching through, you know, COVID and and all these life, you know, God altering things, you know, like I've been able to handle a lot of different stuff, you know, that you just haven't been able, you didn't get taught in freaking exercise physiology class, you know, that you got to, you got to build that. And so. Um, it is something that, that is, it takes time. It takes sacrifice. The sacrifice piece is the thing that people don't realize you got to sacrifice. And sometimes that sacrifice is in the form of an unpaid internship, or it might be low paying jobs for X number of years. But, you know, to, to, to be able to have this type of level of impact on a daily basis is, is it's, it's a, it's a privilege. It's, it's something that you, you know, that not everybody gets the right to do, you know, gets to do. And we got to, you know, that, that has to be earned and then it has to be, you know, you have to be supported from within. And I, I think what you said is is absolutely on point. Probably spend a whole podcast just on that.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's um I think people sometimes uh, struggle a little bit with the idea of like, you know, wanting to get your agenda across, whatever, but also just, you know, like, being a guy who, uh, or, you know, person rather, um, that's a likable person. Somebody you want to go out and get a drink with or invite over for dinner. I mean, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, was very fortunate. I grew up with older brothers and, you know, know how to play the fucking prickle card too, but I mean, you know, there's also, uh, you know, understanding in terms of playing in the NFL, like how to, you know, play within a group and especially on the offensive line, like how to work with people and realize that you're not going to work with everybody or I mean at least in the NFL like I didn't like everybody I worked with but as long as you have a cohesive understanding of like this is our mission this is what we're trying to accomplish hopefully you get it done but you know I know within these coaching staffs it's so funny to see how like you know guys um, end up kind of just uh, attracting other individuals because you know what hey I know I can work with this guy and we're going to work a lot of long hours and he's somebody I can trust somebody who's you know proved himself and I think that that's severely underrated and like so like you said Sometimes it's uh, the internship, or you know, going here and doing this and working with this guy that allows you to set the groundwork. That you know, now all of a sudden, a few years later, you're very successful because of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
2: cool. All right. Well, Ron, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for taking the time and <laughs> tuning in to another episode. Oh, but we need to ask Ron if people want. I mean, obviously, yeah. people can get a hold of you. I mean, they can you know follow you at UW, but uh, for your own social, uh, you know, connections. Uh, what's the best way that people can get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, easiest way is probably just to at Ron for, Um, or I think it's at R you actually on all the all the social media channels. You know, I've done a better job actually. I've not done a, a great of job being here checking that stuff than I have in the past. But
2: well, when you were a play, I, you were on it. I'll tell you, I was look, on it you, play. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> When you were a play, like yeah, I mean, uh, like the amount of content and social that I would see. And then since you got back into this coaching, it's gotten real silent because you don't have time. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're Little over time. here, you know, managing, you know, the family. Why? I mean, you got all this other stuff in this. I mean, I feel like, um, uh, you know, sometimes when people go like, hey, I haven't heard as much because I'm really, really fucking busy. I got like, uh, you know, I maybe wasn't as busy or my job was more forward facing. So I had to do this. But shit, man, you're going to see what we're going to do on Saturday. So even though I'm a Cal Bear, I'm still going to root for you guys. And I'm excited to see how the Huskies do. Know.
0: Yeah, it's uh well I'm I'm rooting for the Pac-12 right
2: now. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> oh, man, I am I'm I'm, uh, I'm a little bit nervous. Uh I hey, used Pac-10. It's back. Uh it is, but I fucking hate USC and uh uh the dun, 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 uh fucking drives me crazy and I can't stand <laughs> the UCLA powder blue uniforms. So going and playing those two teams is like was uh, the best coming down and trying to stomp the golden I mean uh Golden Bears coming in and stomping the Trojans and, and the Bruins was always great. So to actually see those games not happen, a little piece of going to die. I mean, those are some of my favorite college games. Well, Ron, you still got Iron Game Chalk Talk, correct?
0: No, actually, um, no. I, we passed that off to Isaiah Castillaja. Um, okay. Isaiah's doing it now. It's Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Um, so I'd encourage everybody to listen to that. He's done a great job of kind of picking that up and going. And it's really just... I was ready for something different. He was, and 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 um, you know, he's he's the right guy to kind of can keep it going.
1: Awesome. Well, well, yeah, check it out. Starting brands, that's that's what you do, man. So, thank you very much, Ron. appreciate Always a pleasure, dude. And we'll be we'll be pulling for
0: you on Saturdays. Thanks, yeah. fellas Thank you. Thanks so much. No cool. Thanks. I'm See you. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You
1: can follow Coach Ron McKeefrey on Instagram at mckeefrey. That's
0: M-C-K-E-E-F-E-R-Y. Until next time, bye!